That's Arthur Blessed. And uh, in the 60s, he walked the streets talking to strangers about Jesus. He would go into nightclubs and get thrown out of nightclubs, then go back in, and he ended up on the stage preaching. The owner of five strip clubs became a Christian. That person's now a preacher. Arthur preached to the Hells Angels Bikey Club so often that he knew them by name. One time he was uh, trying to stick a cross up in front of his church and this Hells Angel bike he drove past and Arthur stopped him to borrow a wrench off him. And just before this guy drove off, Arthur yelled out, Remember Tom, your wrench tightened down the center bolt. Every time you see a cross, you'll think Jesus died for me. I was the one who put him on that cross. Three nights later, Tom came back. He said, I never saw so many crosses. They're everywhere. I put him there. Tell me about him. And Arthur had the privilege of leading him to trust in Jesus. And that was about the time that he started carrying the cross down the street. For 40 years since then, he has walked around the world carrying the cross. Every nation in the world. The Guinness Book of Records says that it's the longest journey in documented human history. He says, I've been hit by cars in jail 24 times. In 54 wars, I've been taken out to be shot before a firing squad. I've preached with a razor at my throat. They talk about the line, uh, through many dangers, toils and snares. He's 72 years old now, and I saw a video of him on YouTube preaching at 72 years old, and he's dancing and he's shouting, Jesus did it. This is what he's shouting. His strength got me through. Praise Jesus. When you get the cross, it gets you and you'll never be the same again. Now, obviously not all in the same way as this guy, but he's not the only one. Stephen was the first guy to be killed for following Jesus in Acts chapter 7 and he gets heavy rocks thrown down at him and he pretty much just keeps preaching until he dies. I could tell you a pile of crazy stories like that, but what gets someone to the point where they prepared to do that kind of crazy thing for Jesus. Understanding the cross. Tonight we're going to look at the cross-shaped life. When you're saved by the cross, you'll never be the same again. And so what does the cross-shaped life look like? Let me pray. Father, I pray that you will show us that from your word. I pray that your word will speak powerfully. I pray that you'll bring conviction in our hearts and change lives that will bring more glory to your name, more people saved. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll keep your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13 to 17. Now, the writer of this letter, Paul, is explaining the crazy way that he's been living. And it all comes back to the cross. See, he's a man who's gotten the cross, and the cross has gotten him. And he's trying to unpack what happens when the cross gets our heart. Let's read it together in verse 13. And he says this, speaking of Jesus' followers, If we are out of our minds, as some say... It is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Now, this guy was not some emotional, crazy person like the maniac year sevens on camp. He was a grown man. He was highly educated. He'd accomplished massive things in his culture. This is all before he understood the cross. It was a big deal. He ate lunch with the right people. He had all the right contacts in his iPhone. That kind of guy. But he met Jesus. He got the cross and the cross got him and his life turned upside down. And so he says, verse 13, if we are out of our minds, it's for the sake of God. 
See, what we've been talking about this week is so incredible that it changes us so much that the things we do make the rest of the world look at us and say, are you out of your mind? That's what happens to you when you get the cross. I was wanting you to spend a bit of time thinking about what we've seen this week. The true and tragic treasure of the cross. Jesus dying in your place to wash away your sins. So God's no longer angry. You're set free, declared 100% righteous, all of that to bring you back into relationship with God as his child, all as a gift, just by trusting in Jesus. When you get that, you will do things that make people see and think you are out of your mind. I mean, people do crazy things for football, right? Fully grown men, they go to work wearing suits, but Friday night comes and their face is red. They're jumping up and down on the couch. They're yelling at a television. Um, They're barking like dogs. They'll stay up till four o'clock in the morning to watch a game of soccer. They'll stand in the rain for two hours to watch it. People will do crazy things for a game. But Paul says when we do crazy things, it's because of God. It's because of his amazing grace. So the cross isn't, I heard it before, It's not something that I add to my life. This is the most phenomenal thing we have ever heard about and it changes everything about us. And our lives become stamped with the cross. Even if you don't carry one around with you like Arthur Blessed does, you do carry it around with you everywhere in the way that you live and think because the cross should affect everything about you. Now, I'm not saying that we should become a bunch of fanatics who bark like dogs and foam at the mouth. That's not what... I think it means by out of our minds. But the sorts of lives that we live will look crazy to people who don't get it. But we've got to make sure we read the whole verse. Look at verse 13. We'll keep reading. If we're out of our mind, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. See, what Jesus has done on the cross is so wild that we should want to live the craziest lives for Jesus, but... We don't flip out all the time because if we did flip out all the time, it would drive the people who don't get it yet crazy. And we don't want to flip them, we don't want to freak them out because we want to help them get it. So to help them get it every now and then, we just got to get into our right minds and talk about boring stuff like rugby or the beach or surfing or bands or Xbox games. See, we've got to be in our right minds sometimes so that they can understand that there's something that every now and then makes us get out of our right minds. Paul was living in that tension. If you don't know that tension between um, you know, living a crazy life for Jesus, um, you know, that's what you want to do, but you also don't want to freak people out because you don't want them to get scared and never hear about Jesus. Do you live in that tension? You're trying to be as normal as you can be so your friends will hear about the cross, but you also know that God has died for you and the cross changes everything, and so normal just doesn't make sense anymore. That's what happens to you when you get the cross and it gets you. But why do we live like that? Well, look with me at the next verse, verse 14, where Paul gives the reason. Now, you can tell it's the reason because it starts with the word for. Open a window, for, I just farted. Don't laugh at that. For this is serious. For gives the reason. Okay, so Paul says, I'm out of my mind for God. I'm in my right mind for your sake. Verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Now, what does Paul mean when he says Christ's love compels us? 
Compels is like controls. It's like his love on the cross leaves us no other choice. I think it's a bit like when you fall in love. Let me tell you about falling in love with Monique. Okay? Shout out. When we fell in love, right, I started to think that she was just so amazing. And it was like I couldn't get her out of my mind. I couldn't stop thinking about her. I wanted to do things for her, like shower and shave and buy her presents and write her messages. It was almost like, and this is the point, it was almost like there's a, there was a force inside of me compelling me to do these things. With Jesus, it's actually when we see his love for us, shown in his death on the cross for us. Paul says, Christ's love compels me. When I see Jesus' love for me, I have no other choice but to live my life 100% for him. Now, why? Because of verse 14. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all have died. It's because of the cross. Do you notice he says there the word convinced? In his mind, he's convinced. This isn't hype and it's not emotionalism. There's a danger in the the way I preached last night. So you've got to build your life not on hyper emotions, but on what you are convinced of. I don't want to just do stirring, like passionate talks that make you get emotional, but then that fades. No, we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. This is the engine room of the Christian life. If you find the Christian life hard... How much time do you spend reflecting on what Christ has done for you in the cross and what it's achieved? His love, his forgiveness, that is the engine that powers your Christian life. See, if you try to live your Christian life powered by anything else, you'll find it very hard. See, when you wake up in the morning, what makes you want to live as a Christian? Is it guilt? Is it duty? Is it other people's expectations? Well, those things will all kill your joy. Let it be the cross. Each morning when you wake up, start your day by reminding yourself what he's done for you. Be stoked about that and decide that because of his love, you're glad to live today for him. Write this verse above your bed. Christ's love compels me because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. The cross should turn our life upside down. And so the rest of this talk is going to be application. What does the cross-shaped life look like? Here's point number one, a cross-shaped identity. The cross shapes your attitude to yourself. If you've gotten the cross, it defines who you are. Have a look at verse 17 with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. Verse 17. That is your identity now. A new creation. I see teenagers defining themselves by all sorts of things. I'm the hot girl that gets the likes on Facebook. I'm the hot guy that gets the hot girl. I'm the girl that doesn't care what anyone thinks. I'm the cool arty guy. I'm the funny popular. Now, do you know all of those, they're all either pride or insecurity. Either you think you're awesome and you flaunt it, or you're insecure 
and you look at the number of likes you get, laughs you get, trophies, to reassure yourself that you are actually worth something. But you don't need to do The cross cuts through our pride and through our insecurity. Firstly, it destroys our pride because it shows that you are more wicked and undeserving than you ever dared believe. My housemate Dale had a sign on his wall said this, Why so proud, O lowly human, so sinful that God had to die? The more you reflect on the cross, the more you realize there's no way that we can boast as Christians. We did nothing to get saved. We just trusted in Jesus. And so our identity shouldn't be based on bringing attention to our own awesomeness, but on bringing attention to Jesus' awesomeness. Brothers and sisters, let there never be any pride in us. Never catch yourself boasting or feeling better than someone else. At the foot of the cross, we see that we are nothing. So the cross cuts through our pride, but it also cuts through our insecurity because it shows that you are more loved, valued, and accepted than you ever dared hope. You don't need to get likes or looks or laughs or a boyfriend or a girlfriend to know that you are valuable. Christ loves you and considers you worth dying for, not because you deserve that, but because you are valuable in his sight. At the cross, there's no room for either pride or insecurity. So a cross-centered life includes a cross-centered identity. I'll tell you a story about a chick who bought a talking parrot at a pet store. She brought it home, uh, but the parrot wouldn't talk. And so she went back to the pet store. He needs a ladder, they said. And so she bought a ladder. But still, it, it didn't talk. How about a swing, they said. So she bought a swing. Then a plastic tree, then a shiny mirror. And the next day, she turned up to the pet store with a dead parrot. They asked her, did this talking parrot ever say a word? She said, yes, tears running down her face. Right before he died, he said, doesn't that pet store sell any food? See, we, we Christians, I think, can be a bit like that. We have a, a habit of feeling... <laughs> we Christians have a, a habit of filling our lives with lots of good and shiny things. But we can easily forget to eat the food that will ultimately keep us going. Now, what is that food? It's Jesus' death for you on the cross. Let that be the most important truth in your life. Daily, let it shape your attitude to yourself. I'll give you some tips for that. Number one, we are constantly forgetting, so we need to constantly be reminding ourselves. Now, this will sound lame, but I'm going to tell you, you should talk to yourself. Okay? Because all, what the, the other thing we do is we listen to ourselves. Have you ever noticed that voice in our heads that says, I don't like this, I can't do this? Now, instead of listening to that voice, Talk to yourself and preach the gospel to yourself. When you wake up in the morning, Andrew, today's a good day to be alive because Christ died for me. So Andrew, don't get discouraged. Don't get proud. Live for him today. Preach the gospel to yourself. Here's another six ways to remind yourself. Number one, memorize verses about the cross. Number two, put the cross into your prayers. Three, listen to songs about the cross. This week's songs we posted up on Facebook so you can listen to them on Spotify or buy them in iTunes. Four, study the cross. Get some good books that will take you deeper. 
five, remind each other about the cross. Drop it into your conversation. You know, in your conversation, just Dale, I, I live with him. He used to just be like one day, just be like, oh, how good is Jesus? He died for you. It was, it was kind of weird, but it was cool. And it was a good reminder. Lastly, stick the cross. Write verses on post-it notes. Stick them on the outside of your shower, on your bathroom mirror, on the wall next to your bed, on your computer screen. That's point number one. The cross shapes your identity. Secondly, the cross-shaped life involves a cross-shaped lifestyle. The cross shapes your daily actions. In fact, the whole time Jesus' goal was to transform the way you live. One of his goals anyway. Have a look at verse 15. And he died for all. Why? That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I've talked to people who think that once you get saved and become a Christian, then it doesn't matter what you do. Do you really think that Jesus died so that you could keep getting drunk? Or do you really think that Jesus died so you could keep hooking up with girls? Do you really think that Jesus died so you could keep on lying? Do you really think that Jesus died so you could keep on living for me? Do you really think that he gave his life for you so you could keep ignoring his word, doing your own thing, or being half-hearted about him? When you get the cross, it gets you. You're captured by it and you can't live for anything else but Jesus. Now, yes, there's sin in our lives, but if, if at some level you don't feel that, then maybe you never got the cross. Maybe you still need to come to Jesus, turn your back on the world and decide he died for me. I'm going to live for no longer myself, but rather for him who died for me as I trust him to save me. Start to live for Christ in ways that will make your friends and your family and the rest of the world think he's out of his mind. I was once swimming down at Wombi, uh, and I shouldn't have gone out. The waves were way too big. I honestly think that I did come very close to drowning that day. Now, obviously, you can tell I made it back to the shore. But imagine if, um, I don't know, the waves were twice as big again, and, and there was no chance I could possibly save myself. And then a lifeguard swims out towards me, and he swims me back to shore. But as he's going, because he's kind of keeping me up, he's swallowing lots of water. But he's determined to get me there, so we land on the beach, and and he kind of puts me on the beach and just collapses with exhaustion. The next wave crunches on him, gets sucked back out, and he drowns. There I am lying there on the sand. This, this lifeguard has just given his life to save me. What effect is that going to have on my life? I'd like to think that would change my entire life. That guy just gave his life to save mine. I'm not just going to ignore that in the way I live. When you see the cross, you understand that your life can only be about one thing, living for the one who gave his life to save you. But the cross isn't just the way that Jesus saved you. It's also the example that he wants us to follow in our lives. So what does the cross-shaped life look like? Well, number one, you, you serve like Jesus did. That was actually the whole point in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. You remember, we've talked about it a few times, it'll come up on the screen. Verse 45 there, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. But that is actually using himself as an example to make another point in verses uh, 43 and 44, just above it, where he says, not so with you, because they've been arguing about who's better. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Now, serving, that's when you do something for someone else. And Jesus says, if you want to come and follow me, live a cross-shaped life, serve like I served. Now, opportunities to do that are always coming at you, yeah? I mean, look at the ground around you. Just, just have a quick look. Who do you think is going to have to clean that up? Tonight, you could serve others by not keeping them awake so that they can sleep and have energy to hear God's word preached tomorrow. You could serve your brothers or sisters in Christ by choosing clothes that help them focus on Jesus rather than drawing attention to your body. You could serve by praying for the other people in your G-team. See, life's full of opportunities to serve by doing things for others. But just think with me for a second about the way that Jesus served. A, he put others first. B, it cost him a lot. And C, he did it for people who didn't deserve it. And when you put those things together right there, that pretty much undermines any excuse that we could make for not helping someone. Ready? They don't deserve it. Hang on. Did Jesus deserve for you to die for you? Well, it'll be really, really hard though. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty hard when Jesus gave his life for you. Serve like Jesus served. Now, one time when I was uh, lying in my bed, my mate Rick was sleeping over. It was pretty late at night. We were just about to go to sleep. You know, the conversation just kind of fades. Like, what are we going to do tomorrow? Oh, I guess. Right then, my phone goes off and it's a message. The message just says, hey, any chance you could come and pick me up? And I, I just did not feel like it at all. I turned to Rick and I said, do I have to give him a lift? Like, won't it teach him a lesson if I don't? He won't get himself into this situation again. Rick said, I, th- I think that would be loving. I think that's what Jesus would do. Now, the cross-shaped life is the life that serves people like Jesus did. Now, where is that hardest for you? What would it look like for you, for example, to serve Jesus at home? I'd love to get calls from parents in the week after fat saying, what did you do to my little schnookums? <laughs> He's completely different. He's offering to help around the house. I'm freaking out. He's not complaining. And I'll just say, well, he, he's acting like his saviour who served him without complaining and died on the cross for him. This exact thing that I'm talking about is what caused, or one of the reasons that Christianity spread so quickly when it first got started. They didn't ignore the Christians. Uh, that They were so much like Jesus. They didn't ignore those who were hungry or sick or suffering. 2,000 years ago, um, an anti-Christian writer blamed the spread of Christianity on exactly this, their sacrificial love. He wrote, you can see it there, Why do we not observe that it's their goodness to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, and the pretended holiness of their lives that have done most to increase atheism? That's what they call Christians because they didn't believe in millions of gods, just one. For it is disgraceful that when no Jew ever has to beg and the Christians support not only their own poor, but ours as well. Serve like Jesus did, Eva Youth. I have no doubt 
that if we were to copy Jesus in sacrificially serving, we would see a lot of glory brought to Jesus and who knows how many people as well. What else would it mean if you were to look at the cross as your example for how to live? I think number two, you would love your enemies. I don't mean that as a cliche, but I mean you genuinely just wouldn't retaliate. You wouldn't start fights. Rather, you'd forgive. We'd have a a grace about us. Three, you'd suffer with patience like Jesus did. Jesus' death gives you something to hold on to in suffering. He isn't unmoved by suffering. He knows what it's like. He can sympathize with you. And hope and comfort in suffering comes from meditating on the cross. See, there is the evidence of his love. There is the example of his faith. There is the proof that he will save you from that suffering eternally. You know, the cross-shaped life is not the life that runs away from suffering Just like Jesus did not run from suffering, but rather when you suffer, rejoice that you are being like Jesus. The cross shapes how you suffer. Guys, to live the cross-shaped life, you just live one cross-shaped day after another. Don't worry about a week from now. Just live today shaped by the cross. Then tomorrow, live that day shaped by the cross and so on. Serving like Jesus, loving your enemies, forgiving like Jesus. Serving with patience, or suffering with patience like Jesus. All right, well, lastly, Jesus died not just to save you and then leave you a lonely Christian by yourself. No, he died to create a cross centered community. That's point three. The cross shapes the community that you belong to. See, Jesus' death was not just for you individually, it was to create a flock. You know what a fold is? Brought you, brought you to the fold of God, we sing. It's like a sheep pen where you put the sheep. He, he died to bring us into the sheep pen to create his own people. And so Titus chapter 2, verse 14 says, He, Jesus, gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Jesus gave himself to purify a people to be his own. And he died to join you to that people. So becoming a Christian is like changing jerseys, right? You take off the Bulldogs jersey and you put on a much better jersey, Parramatta Eels. And uh, (laughs) See, Jesus didn't just save individuals to continue them being lonely forever, but to create a new community, a community gathered from every nation on the planet. When you become a Christian, you change membership. And so let me ask you this. Does it matter whether you come to youth group or not? Or when you're older, church? Well, yes. Because Jesus died to gather you. Sleeping in a garage won't make you a car. And going to church doesn't make you a Christian. And it's not something that gets you into heaven. But Jesus does want you to gather with the community that you belong to. It's the community he died to create. You now belong to this family above every other family. This team above every other team. How would you feel if someone in your family told you that they loved the parents that you share, but they never came to any family gatherings? If you love God, well, I think you'll want to meet with his family. And whether you show up to family gatherings or not shows a lot about what place 
God actually have it, has in your life? I mean, what sort of things will you, will you miss youth group and church when you're older for? For sport? For your job? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying this to guilt you, but to show you what I, what I think the Bible says it will look like to be a person shaped by the cross. You'll gather with the community of the cross and almost nothing will be able to stop you. Now, you won't join that sporting team. You won't take that job because it's not worth it. This is my family. If people think we're out of our minds, it's for God. Now, I used to be someone who hated church. Now I'm someone who loves it because I guess I'm hungry to learn about God from his word and I want to be encouraged by my family to keep living for Jesus and I want to be there to encourage them. See, even if you don't think you get anything personally out of coming to youth group, if you're living a, a cross-shaped lifestyle, you will want to go to serve, to help the other people there who are struggling. And, and who knows what they might be struggling with. How could you encourage them if you're not there? In fact, say you go every second week. And if, you, if you can't do better than that because your parents won't take you, I'm not, I'm not, don't feel bad about that. But if you can, but if you're only there every second week, well, how do you know if your mates that you're trying to support are coming regularly? You know, a whole term can go past without you noticing that they're not coming anymore. They're slowly dropping away from Jesus. When I was in youth group, my leader told me that the, the SES troops in the army, they won't ever let someone be left behind. If someone's struggling, they put them out the front and they all push them along. If the person then can't even walk, well, they'll pick them up and carry them. Your year at youth group, your G team, is like that SES team. You belong to the community that Christ died to create. And so you need to be there for each other. Don't, as much as it depends on you, don't let anyone drift away. Pray for each other. Send messages during the week encouraging each other and and encouraging them to keep trusting Jesus. This term, go the full nine. Make it to every G team so you can do that. My youth group leader used to end almost every conversation like this. Keep trusting Jesus. Now he gets it. We both belong, me and him, to the community that Jesus died to create. And he wants to make sure that I don't forget it. And that was actually really good advice. Because in the 10 years since that time, I've seen dozens of my friends walk away from Jesus. Please do not walk away from Jesus. Only Jesus saves. And as much as it depends on you, don't let your brothers or sisters walk away from Jesus either. Pray, encourage, love. Do you realize that you belong to the church? Well, what sort of a community is this cross-shaped community? The New Testament spends a lot of time describing it. We could actually, and Jono, maybe we should, spend a whole fat talking about it. This community is brought into existence by the cross and it continues to be shaped by the cross. And so a cross-shaped community is... Firstly, a community of confidence. Confidence as we relate to God and pray to Him and worship Him. As we do that, we combine that humility because we're sinners with confidence because we're saved. We're confident also about the future because we know where we're going. And that itself makes us confident about our friends, our lives now. See, we've got God on our side Who can stop us? Who can hurt us? 
I should say, I don't mean that what we want, God, nothing will stop that. I mean what God wants and he's good and he's, he's on our team. We will live with God forever. And so we will be a community of confidence. Guys, if we're out of our minds in our confidence, it's for the sake of God. Secondly, it'll be a community of love. Because of the crazy love that Jesus showed to us, we'll live the rest of our lives being self-giving and radically loving people. A community that loves God and loves our brothers and sisters. The Bible says you can't say that you love God, who you can't see, unless you love your brothers, who you can see. Now, if we're out of our minds in the amount that we love, it's for the sake of God. Thirdly, it's a community of celebration and joy. Joy marks those who have been saved by the cross. There's no joy like the joy of the forgiven. You know, no other religion in the world brings news of complete forgiveness. And the proof of this is that Christians sing. A Buddhist temple never echoes with the cry of praise. Muslim worshippers never sing. They're never jubilant with the songs of the forgiven. But by contrast, when Christians deeply grasp that they are saved, it's difficult to stop them singing. You should hear your youth group leaders when we get together. Let's be a community that sings with joy and lives with joy. It glorifies God when we enjoy Him. Even in heaven, they sing about the cross. Let's, let's sing with joy and live our life as a constant celebration. Think about this. Your sin is gone. You will live forever. Rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again. Rejoice. And you can do that even in suffering because no trial in our life can take that away. It stands eternal, secure in God. He has saved me. If we're thought to be out of our minds for our joy, it's for the sake of God. Lastly, a community on a mission. The cross-shaped community is one with a message to announce to the world. Look at your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Listen to this. And he has committed to us the message of of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We, the church, are Christ's ambassadors. You've heard this week about Jesus' death to take away sins. Well, anyone who believes that message will live forever and will be reconciled to God. EV Youth, we are, we heard it this morning, a community on a mission. And I've been praying today, especially after seeing that video this morning, that people from this room will take that message all over the planet. Wasn't it crazy how many people there were in the world with not even an opportunity to hear about the name of Jesus? Will you take the message to them? Not all of you will, but I pray that some of you will. In fact, what am I doing here? They haven't heard. What am I doing here? Well, the only reason I can justify being here is because I'm hoping to send more of you than if I just went myself and then maybe later I'll go. Who knows? That's, that's really something I've got to work out. But those people groups that, that we saw in that video, why, why, who is going to tell them? 
But actually, even this week coming, who's going to tell your school, your family, your sporting team, doing it out of love, with joy, with confidence, and not afraid of suffering? Because we as Christ's people love people like he loved them. And we love them enough to share the good news of Jesus' death with them. God who worked in Jesus to achieve salvation now works through us to announce it. Let me close. I hope that next Friday, a week from now, you're all at EV Youth gathering with the community Jesus died to make. Let's be a community of confidence, love, celebration, and on a mission. Now, tonight might be the night you might want to talk to your leader, and, and yeah, I do want to join God's family. I want to come home to God. I want to start to live for Jesus. But if you have already done that, live the cross-shaped life until you go home to be with him forever. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13, one last time. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all. So that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Father, please do this in our hearts and in our lives. Amen.